0: Luke chapter 19 tonight. Yeah, Jim, I'll to turn this on. Turn the pulpit on. Thank you. Luke chapter 19. Um, we are in the final week of Jesus, and um, this is one of those passages that I didn't realize until um, I started studying for this particular sermon, but um, there's apparently there's some discussion uh, as to exactly why Jesus is doing what we're going to read about tonight. And I thought, well, this seemed pretty easy to me. And, and as I started studying it, I come to realize that there, there are some interesting dynamics to this passage. Um, Luke 19, we're only going to cover four verses in terms of, of uh, Luke's gospel, but we're going to be in all three gospels. We're going to look at the same story from three different sets of eyes, and then we'll um, listen to some of the prophets and what they have to say as well. So Luke chapter 19 verses 45 to 48, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do all the people were hanging on his words. Pray with me. Father, I pray that we too would hang on your words as the people in the temple did. Lord, teach us through this passage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This story of Jesus cleansing the temple has been used for a lot of things. Um, I've heard people say, well, you know, it's okay to be angry. I mean, Jesus drove out the money changers. So, you know, you know, maybe, maybe you do need a little bit of anger every now and then, you know, get some righteous vindication. Um, I I don't know about that. I heard someone one time say, um, we were studying Mark's passage. We'll read it in just a minute. Um, Jesus uh, goes up to a fig tree Uh, that that looks like it has figs but it doesn't have figs and and apparently he was so hungry he went out and and he just cleared out the temple because he was hangry I guess you know so hungry he got angry and I don't think that's good exegesis but you know I've heard all kinds of things said around this passage but it's kind of interesting because uh, when you look at what the gospel writers say And you try to get to the question of, what is Jesus doing this for? Why is he cleansing the temple? It's kind of interesting. There's a couple of different dynamics that are going on here. And and I think looking at all three Gospels will show us just kind of some of the ways that these were taken. Uh, I say all three Gospels. There are four Gospels, and I know that. But three of them have very similar perspectives. In fact, we call them the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means same perspective, okay? Same view, if you will. These Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of look at things the same way. Mark wrote first. So listen to what Mark says about this story. This is in Mark chapter 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Mark gives us kind of the storyline, okay? So in Mark's gospel, he shows us uh, uh, this is the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. Hosanna, uh, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They're, they're chanting for him. They're throwing their cloaks down so that the donkey that he's riding, the colt that no one has ever ridden before, that, that no one but the master uh, should ride, on that first voyage, if you will, he rides this colt into Jerusalem. And Mark tells us that he's looking around, examining everything, but it's already late. And so they leave, they go back to Bethany to stay the night. The next day comes and they leave from Bethany on the way into Jerusalem, short distance, maybe an hour walk tops. And they come into Bethany or they come from Bethany on the way into Jerusalem. And on the way they find this fig tree and it's in leaf. And fig trees, if you don't know uh, much about figs, figs put out these beautiful leaves uh, really early in the season. Before the figs come, the leaves are just gorgeous all over the tree. And then within a few weeks, um, you get good figs. And the first figs are tender and juicy and they're just, they're perfect. They are just the best figs come right at early in the season. In fact, the fig tree is one of the earliest trees to produce its fruit, and so it's the harbinger of things to come. That that sounds familiar. I've maybe I've preached that recently. Yeah, right. The fig tree growing its leaf. Jesus sees it. He comes up to it, looking for those figs. But it's not the season for figs. So what does he do? He curses the tree. But it's not the season for figs. It doesn't matter. It shows all the signs that it should have figs, but it doesn't have any. So they curse. He curses the tree. Then they walk in. To Jerusalem. They finish their journey. They walk into Jerusalem. He goes straight into the temple and man, he gets to work. He clears out tables and, and the money changers and he's, he's chasing people out. John tells us a story. I don't know if it's the same incident or different incident because John puts his early in the ministry of Jesus, but Jesus is getting the whip out in the book of John. I mean, he is serious about this, driving people away. Matthew also gives us some additional details. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Of course, that makes the chief priests mad and they object and um, they're they're indignant and Jesus scolds them. All these stories lead us to ask the question, all these different perspectives. Why is Jesus doing this? If you read Mark, you might want to say that he's doing it because, well, maybe the fig tree teaches us something about it, right? It's the time. It's not time for figs, but the fig is full leaf. It's ready to go. It looks like it should be bringing forth a lot of fruit, but there's no figs on it and he curses it. Mark then tells us after the day, uh, the next day, Jesus is coming back into Jerusalem from Bethany, and lo and behold, the fig tree has withered, and he uses it as an opportunity to teach them about the prayers of faith. So you might think that maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the temple, like that fig tree, is supposed to be bearing fruit, but it's not. Instead, what is it bearing? Prophets. Now, don't get me wrong. Let, let, me, let me make sure I'm very clear on this. It is not a bad thing to go into business, and it's not a bad thing to provide something that people need. People would be coming from Jerusalem from all over the place, and in Rome, it wasn't like in the United States where we all use the same currency. In Rome, there were tons of currencies. Every locality had its own currency, And so you've got people coming from all over the place. You've got people coming from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. You've got people coming from all over the Roman Empire who are Jews, who have been dispersed about, who are making their way to Jerusalem for this special occasion. And what are they doing? I mean, it's Passover week. This is the big daddy of them all. From a Hebrew perspective, this is one of the big three. They have what they call the high holy days. The Passover is one of those high holy days. I mean, this is, this is it right here. This is the pilgrimage to Mecca for the Jews instead of for the Muslims. Okay. This is that, this is that first trip to Bryant Denny or to, my, mine just went blank. What's the name of the field in Auburn? Jordan Hare. Man, it's that first, it, it, it's that pilgrimage. It's a big deal. And they're coming from all over. They've got all kinds of different money. Have you ever gone to uh, another country? Now, we have a little bit of an advantage. U.S. dollars are taken in a lot of places. But even still, isn't it so much easier to carry the local currency around? Yeah, it's a lot easier. You don't have to worry about the transactions, the, 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 the exchange rates, all that kind of thing. Now, you might have to worry about, did I get the right amount of money for what I gave them? But, you know, but that's, that's a whole different issue. In that day, people couldn't take every kind of currency. They needed the local currency. So money changers are not a bad thing. Someone there that can take your currency and turn it into the local currency so that you can do business easily with people around you. So that you can buy the things you need, so that you can pay for a place to stay, so that you can acquire the food that you need while you're there. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The people selling doves or pigeons uh, in the in 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 that world, it was one term for small birds. And so, if it was a pigeon or if it was a dove, they didn't care. They just it was it was a small bird. Okay. So sometimes you'll read doves, sometimes you'll read pigeons. It's not a difference in translation, it's just that same word for both. These people that are selling doves and pigeons, people that are selling various kinds of animals for sacrifices, animals that would have come from Bethlehem, like sheep, animals that would have come from the local area to be used for sacrifices in the temple. Can you imagine taking a week-long journey to get to Jerusalem. And when you get there, you got to have something to sacrifice. Now, how many of you are bringing the sacrifice with you? Well, I don't know. Maybe if, you, maybe if you live in Bethany, you do that. But not if you live a week away. If you're traveling for 100 miles or more, you're lucky to get an animal there alive, right? And then to get one without spot or blemish, what if something happens to it along the way? It's got to be ritually pure, that what they're doing isn't necessarily bad. The service that they're providing is a needed thing. But maybe the way they were doing it was wrong. Police? So here's what would happen. They set up shop, and they typically set, set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles is quite a large area. But they would set up these places, these tables, for all of these different selling things. And of course, you had to rent the space because you know, you're in the temple. You, you, you don't. I promise you this. You go to your favorite stadium to watch your favorite team play. The people that are running restaurants and the people that are running different venues there, they're not there for free. They're having to pay to be in that spot. That's why your hot dog is a lot more expensive in the stadium than it is if you go across the street, right? Because they're in a prime location and they pay to be in a prime location. In fact, when I worked in retail, I found out, do you know the most expensive shelf? There are shelves that are more expensive than other shelves. If you are at eye level, that shelf costs more to a person to put their product on that shelf in that store than the bottom shelf does because it's easier to reach. It's right there where you see it. You can reach it easily. People will pay more to have it there. People will pay more to have it on the end of an aisle rather than just in the aisle because more will see it. More will walk by it. More will want it. Prime locations. And I guarantee you these guys are paying money. Paying money to whom? The priests to be there. So the priests are getting a little bit of this and probably not just a fixed fee probably a nice little commission on the sales too. So um, this, this happens in business. When we were at the mall, I was talking to someone about this and they were explaining to me how it works. Their rent is 6% of their sales. Most malls, it's about 6%. So if you want to, you want to open up a place in the mall, you know, like a a fixed place, not one of those little little rolly carts in the middle of the aisle, but you know, one of those fixed places, you're going to pay about 6% of your sales with a certain minimal amount that you're going to pay the mall. So this is your minimum. And then if your sales go above a certain number, you're paying, you're paying a percentage of sales. So as you do well, the mall does well, right? Probably the same thing going on here. And then you add to that the fact that, well, everything's just more expensive in the temple because it's certified. They have the seal of approval. Every sacrifice you bought would be acceptable to the priest. Every sacrifice you brought didn't have to be inspected because it had already passed inspection. So the price could be, in some cases, 20 times more than what it was really worth. Oh, and those money changers, yeah, you know, they were getting in on the action, too, because, well, you know, we got to charge a fee to provide this much-needed service, and that fee would be, well, a lot more than they should have been paid. Sounds more like Pigeon Forge (laughs) than... been a been a place of worship for God, doesn't it? It sounds like a place where tourists go to get fleeced instead of people going to worship God. When Jesus sees all this, and I think Mark, Mark is correct in that he sees it the night before, the, the evening before, but he doesn't do anything about it till the next day. I think he's looking around and he's looking at it and it's grieving his heart. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why he was cleansing the temple because it needed to be destroyed. Now, the physical building wasn't the problem. The the acts of of, uh, religious ritual that were going on weren't necessarily the problem. God had prescribed those, but the way in which they were being done, the system all around it, the exploitation of others that were going on within its walls, that had to stop. You see, I think one of the reasons Jesus was cleansing the temple was to mark its destruction as a way of showing the divine judgment that was impending on this place. And you know that because of what it had become. Verse 46, it is written, Jesus talking, my house shall be called a house of prayers, but you have made it a den of robbers. My house shall be a house of prayer. Mark adds for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. I didn't realize this uh, originally, but this is actually a quote. Now, you know probably my house shall be called a house of prayer, right? We'll get to that quote in just a second. You know that's a quote, most likely. I had always heard it preached that that was a quote, but I had never realized that the second part is also a quote. Listen to what in Jeremiah's day the temple was like. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You... excuse me, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. You see the problem in Jeremiah's day was that people lived like hell and then came to the temple to act like they were acceptable to heaven. People lived the way that they wanted to live, doing the things. And did you notice what he listed? I mean, he's practically listing all of the Ten Commandments. Are you going to break every single one of them? Are you going to steal? Are you going to murder? Are you going to commit adultery? Are you going to swear falsely? Those commandments that teach us how to live in right relationship with men, but not only that, but with God as well. Are you going to make offerings to Baal? and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in the house with my name on it and say, act like everything's all right. Well, I'll just, this is something that's always gotten me. How can you live so terribly wrong and then come before God and act like everything's cool? Some people treat Fat Tuesday and Ash Wednesday that way do whatever you want on Pet Tuesday. Just make sure you get ashes on your head and you repent on Wednesday. You know, might it be better if instead of acting that way in God's house, wouldn't it be better if we carried the attitude of contrition with us? And when we entered the temple, it wasn't the only time that we thought about God. Wouldn't it be better if we looked more like him the rest of the time? Has this house... Jeremiah continues. This is God telling Jeremiah, by the way, to stand in front of the temple at the gate of the entrance of the temple and call out to people as they're coming in, okay? He's a street preacher right in front of God's house. Listen to what he says. Has this house, I can see him pointing to it, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place, God tells them, you want to see what's going to happen? Go to Shiloh. Y'all know what Shiloh is? Y'all know what was in Shiloh, right? If you were here on Wednesday night, you'd know because we're going through 1 Samuel. And where is Eli, the priest, doing the offerings and, and carrying out his priestly role? It's in Shiloh. You see, Shiloh used to be the home of, I guess you could call it the tabernacle. Maybe it was the same one that was used in the wilderness journey. Maybe it was another kind of uh, a semi-permanent place that was built there, but it wasn't. It wasn't the temple that Solomon built. But in Shiloh, there is this temple, uh, 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 this place, this tent of meaning, where where you would come and worship God. And people from all over Israel would come to Shiloh. Elkanah brings up his family every year, going to Shiloh. This is this is the way that works. So so the predecessor to the temple is in Shiloh. He says, go to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. You really want to see what's going to happen? Why don't you go to the former place where my name was and have a look there? Because that place has been destroyed. And now, because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave you and to your fathers as I did at Shiloh. What I did up there, I'll do down here. Do you you see the issue? The temple wasn't the place of worship for God anymore. It was the place that people falsely put their trust in. I I, I gotta tell you, when you are more dependent on a building than on the God to whom that building is dedicated, when you are more dependent on a ritual than the God for whom that ritual was designed, it needs to be destroyed. The problem with the temple was, well, it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. And maybe, maybe that's another aspect of this. Maybe Jesus is cleansing the temple in order to restore its purpose. Maybe he's cleansing the temple because he wants it to be what God intended it to be in the first place. And he sees how dramatically wrong it has gone. God's temple was to be a house of prayer. Isaiah describes the temple's purpose. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These aren't Israelites. These aren't the people who 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 think that the temple is for them only. These are from people from the other nations who look in and see the God of Israel and realize that he is the one they should be following. This is for the Ruths who are willing to stand with their mother-in-law, Naomi, and say, my people, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This is for the Rahabs, the ones who are willing to hide the Hebrew slaves on the roof up under some straw or something, because she recognizes that God has sent them and that they are the ones that have his blessing. And she wants to make sure that she is safe because she is trusting in that God and not in the false gods of her people. It's for the eunuch from Ethiopia who's riding along, reading from Isaiah, not getting it, who requires a Philip to help him understand what he's reading. He's ready to put faith in Christ so much so that in the middle of the ride, they get down and he gets baptized. You see, God had designed his house for people that love him like that. Isaiah continues, these, these foreigners who unite themselves with the Lord, who minister to him, who love him, who hold fast his covenant, these I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. That's what the temple was intended to be. The last thing that this points me to was back in Matthew's reading of this. Right after he chases out the money changers and turns over tables, right after all this, did you recognize what Jesus started doing immediately? Let me read it for you again. Matthew 21 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. See, this is what's supposed to happen there. This is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where people from all over the world gather to worship God and experience the fullness of life in him. That's what the temple is supposed to be. But somewhere along the way, it had grown a lot of leaves no figs. Somewhere along the way, it had become a den of robbers. Somewhere along the way, the temple lost its purpose. So when Jesus cleanses the temple, he doesn't just do it just to get rid of money changers. He doesn't do it just to get people to be quiet because we need a place to pray and, and who can pray with all this noise. He does it because the temple needed cleansing. People needed to see that God took his house. Seriously. Do you not know? Have you not heard? You are not your own, but you are bought with a price. You, child of God, you are the temple of the living God. Every single one of you. So let's give him a temple worthy of his name. Father, I pray that you would make us the temple that is cleaned, that is restored, not one that should be destroyed because it has is, it is become so corrupted that there is nothing else here for you, but one in which genuine prayer feeds a life of godliness, springing forth wells of faith from deep within us from you that provide blessing and nourishment for the nations. God, help us be your clean temples. Until the day when we no longer need a building, until the day when we no longer need a son, as we walk in the light of your presence. Father, help us to be temples worthy of your name. Cleanse us from our sins. Restore the purpose for which you've called us. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.